so welcome back to Inside Whitehall with me, Jonathan Gullis. And me, James Starkey. So we've just had a fantastic conversation with Harry Cole from The Sun and Kate McCann from Times Radio and Talk TV, learning about what the lobby does. James, you were a media spad. This is more the world you lived in before I arrived into politics. What did you take away from it all? I thought it was really interesting. I mean, I I think what I really appreciated was how how honest they were with, um, you know, how it works, the difficulties. Uh, a really interesting bit of the conversation for me was um, there's that balance. Westminster is a weird place in that it's kind of all-consuming. I mean, you will have your own views. I think it's similar for MPs. A kind of work, it's an odd working day. You know, you get there fairly early. You stay there if there's votes. You know, you guys as MPs are there to what time? 10, 11 at night sometimes? Yeah, so it could be 10, 11 on a Monday, then between 7 and 8 uh, on a Tuesday, Wednesday. So, you, you know, for MPs in particular, and I guess the journalists covering it, you know, you're often having breakfast, lunch and dinner for three, four days of the week, either with or in the, you know, in the same place as all the people you work with. Um, and it's a claustrophobic place. And so you end, you know, you end up socializing with them. It's, it's a high pressure job. I think special advisor is and peers, you know, so as so a journalist and so on. And so, you know, in that way you do become kind of close to people, but as Harry and Kate touched upon, we do all have jobs to do. You know, your job as a special advisor is to look after the interests of the government you know, or the opposition. Um, and then the person that you work for, the Secretary of State, the Shadow, the Prime Minister, etc. Um, and, you know, your job as an MP is you, you've got an agenda and a reputation you need to protect. And they're journalists. They've got store. They, you know, they are trying to get stories. So they, they're covering what's going on, as Kate said. But they're also trying to find out things that maybe you don't want out at that point. You know, they're trying to, they, they want to, they, you know, let's be honest. Harry wants on his front page tomorrow. Uh, something that the government don't want to announce till the end of next week, right? Yeah, exactly. I think it's really interesting for me, having learned about the relationship between the lobby and members of parliament, and I think avoiding this idea that it's somehow adversarial and moving beyond that mentally. And I think there are still way too many of my colleagues and interactions I have that see them as the enemy. They've definitely bought into this idea that you know certain newspapers or broadcasters are purely designed to bring you down to undermine you undermine the government or the party that you're a member of and i think we've got to get beyond that because i think that's fed in part into the public when i see some comments on my social media platform uh for you know promoting what i'm doing in parliament and i think that it's up to us to which is why like i'm conscious i try and make sure i do an interview with like channel 4 or newsnight who would be perceived to be adversarial to the Conservative Party, but actually the reality I think is totally opposite. I'm, I think everyone has been fair in those interviews and asked me the same questions I've had if I've gone on Talk TV, GB News, or Sky News. So I think that that's got to be that's got to be understood by colleagues that the media has a job to do. I think that's the way you put it perfectly. It's a job they've got to deliver their side of the job, which is to hold us to account, also to call out where things are not right and where things are wrong. And as MPs, you know, we're not above being called out and that's just the reality of it and we have to live with it. And I think what's also interesting, which we didn't get to touch on, is actually with local media, in particular local newspapers, seeing a reduction in staff uh, inevitably, sadly, has happened with less people now buying the physical copy of the local paper, relying more on online advertisement ads. 
that obviously now a lot of what you say or gets into a national newspaper will feed into your local paper. And I think mentally that's a mindset now that MPs are wary of. Like if I say this, the local paper will then run this as a story. And obviously you're, you hope that it will be more more positive than negative in terms of when you're engaging with your constituents. I mean, uh, when um, Harry and Kate were leaving, the thing that I, I thought of, we, did, we didn't discuss it, the thing that I thought of that we didn't bring up, which has had a huge impact on uh, the coverage of politics, I would suggest how the lobby operates, is Twitter, social media more broadly, but Twitter in particular. And, you know, your point about news outlets generally, whoever they are, seizing on things, is that's where things can kind of get picked up, you know, take a life of their own and essentially become a story. Yeah, I think think you're bang on about Twitter. Social media in general now is something that is uh, really really become a problem for politicians i think you know people are tweeting without thinking about how it could be interpreted and when you've got a limited amount of characters that's always going to uh, be harder to get out what could be a very complicated message or you know a very complicated issue and trying to simplify that into so many characters is a bad thing i think that that's where the sensationalization in the media idea has come from but i don't think it's a fair representation of that because ultimately if an mp is going to say something on Twitter, then they shouldn't be shocked that that's going to be treated as quotable, as something that can be used as a media story. And look, I've been on the the backlash of that myself, and you've got to learn to ride with it, and uh, and therefore, you know, with the consequences of it as well. At the end of the day, yeah, I think. I mean, what I would say is the way social media has certainly changed things is that, for example, when I was a defra, uh, you know, the environment and things around it are big issues uh, that the public care about, and. I mean, let, let's touch upon it. The the idea of fake news. Yeah. A good example recently would be some of the votes that have happened where it's been claimed that conservative MPs have, you know, not, we don't want to, as we set out, we don't want to get too party political, but, you know, conservative MPs have voted to allow more sewage. Yeah, into rivers, yeah. Into rivers. And that is something that has gone wild on social media, but then does, it inevitably does go into the you know, mainstream media, whatever you want to call it. So I think that's um, that that's changed the way that things have covered. Yeah, definitely. And then obviously the problem is you're then on the back foot because you're then trying to quickly respond to that as an MP and get in front of it to try and actually get the truth. And obviously in that particular instance, you would say that it's because monitors are now being put where uh, these wells are, where the, where the sewage flows that enables to monitoring to take place. And actually this is as a result of being forward thinking and taking progressive action. But of course, then there is still fairly the counter argument of, but is it right sewage is dumped into water's ways at all, et cetera, which is a fair argument and debate mm. to have. And I think you're right. I think that it's about that's where challenges are really coming. And I think that's why we probably now see more media outlets. And when I say media outlets, I mean a lot of the online kind of media outlets. So I'm not talking the traditional newspapers that also have online or the big broadcasters that we're aware of. And I think that's where, you know, you get a lot of, look, party political. The Conservative Party has Conservative Home. The Labour Party um, has Labour lists. They have their own websites where you get MPs writing uh, stories on or you'll get news coverage, but obviously with a political party spin on that from that perspective. And ultimately that is another tool to try and, you know, filter a message through for that politician or for that party, you know, politically through those streams as well. And I think it's about getting that balance between, and I think that's what Kate and Harry were getting across, which is, it's all well and good coming on spinning the line. It's all well and good, you know, giving the press release, but it is our job to verify that, to look at where the arguments can be pulled apart 
and to call out where there's clearly not been thought given to a particular area. And that's a, that's something that in government, you know, you've got to accept. I remember that when I got made a, a minister, they actually booked you a session with the um, the communications team to do a practice sit-down interview on TV and to do a practice sit-down uh, interview with a, a newspaper journalist. And they, they're really hostile. It was a really hostile, they record it, they bring it to you, they play it and they show you it. And the idea is that just to see how you're performing. And I found that really interesting now, how much time in every meeting I was in inside the Department for Education, you would have someone from the communications team in the room with you now in case one, that meeting ever somehow got briefed out or leaked. Or, of course, if you were going to be breaking a story to see you know, what you've been saying before so they could get a flavour for what your kind of style of presentation is and how much now more important that is it to deliver you know high quality um sort of engagement but also to push towards the in that case what the government narrative is and obviously you'll know this james you would have prepped michael and pretty for interviews i'm sure before as well but I, the, the question i have for you is um so i remember talking to to one of my former bosses of secretary of state about this is we you know as a special advisor on the whole you're not in the media now occasionally your name can appear or whatever but you're not in the media what is it like regularly seeing your, you know, outside of the quotes that you give for, you know, for, for a press release that you're doing? What is it like when you see people kind of write about you, talk about you in print, in a newspaper, which I guess, I don't know, do you think, do you, when you see that, do you think, oh, actually, my family's reading this, my friends, people I went to school were reading this? What, what's that like? It's quite, it's quite difficult sometimes because I think the hardest ones are when you've been picked up for like a particular sentence you said in the chamber or in a Westminster Hall debate, um, or in a TV appearance where you may have said something incorrectly or you didn't use, uh, or it was a part of an interview. When you're giving a quote to the media, you get an opportunity, obviously, to actually sit down, look it through, prep it. You're aware they may not use everything, but so therefore you're, you're trying to be concise with your words. I've never had a problem with that because obviously I've been contacted. I've been asked if I want to give a quote. If it's on education, for example, something obviously I've worked in, as we know, for eight years before I got into pol politics, happy to do that. I think it's really hard when your words are taken from the chamber and you feel that, oh, that section of the speech doesn't accurately reflect the whole context in which I was speaking. And that can be quite frustrating because sometimes you feel that the message you were trying to deliver is lost or that now the story sounds slightly different to actually what you were trying to say. And of course, those moments can be quite hard as well because like my my partner will get her friend's messenger, have you seen this? You know, clips of the quote or like the newspaper story. And then you're conscious that that's your partner being affected. Like my own partner has had people directly privately message her on her social media platform saying your partner's a disgrace, you should be embarrassed. From people she doesn't know, not from not people from, from no one she knows. From no one she knows. And I think that's just completely outrageous that, you know, at times that happens because it's the headline may be one thing, the story is very different. And I think that's where, you know, as as readers, we just need to make sure that we always take into the wider context. I'm not saying M MPs, of course, should always be careful with their words and think very carefully about when they say something, how could it be interpreted? And I don't think any of us are perfect. I will certainly never prove to be perfect in that regard. But I think it is, it can be really hard. I know my mum gets upset. You know, my mum's contacted me before saying that she's really upset to see the things that are being said about it. And it's more actually really not just the newspaper article. It's more the the comments that come with those articles that my mum my has found really hard, as has my partner. You know, and I'm unconscious as well nowadays with, with the internet, with the way it is, 
these stories last forever. So when my kids are older, you know, when media's two, William's one, when they're older, they'll be able to Google their dad and there'll be stories there. And I'll have to address those stories with them because obviously their friends will see it and stuff like that. And that's quite tense because I don't want my children to be affected by my politics, let's say, or by what a headline in a newspaper says. But of course, there'll be some parents of their friends. There may be some of their own friends who would instantly judge just based off what the headline says without actually understanding the individual. I think that's where it comes really difficult personally. Yeah, I think. I mean, that was always my thought is um, when you're a media spad, the thing you need to remember you're putting that quote in your boss's name and you're trying to, to some degree or other, shape shape the coverage of of, of, of your boss. And, you know, that that's there forever. And they're, they're kind of, their families and so on read it. And, or you just the general public, people that have never met them. We've touched on this before, I think. People that have never met you, you know, that they now have a view on you. Yeah, and I think, by the way, Kate and Harry both said, obviously, like, when you're in the lobby, like, a lot of people have been there for a long period of time. Like, there's a lot of certain journalists I see and it's, I find it quite cool to be able to see them. These are people I used to read religiously, uh, you know, in their columns and to actually be amongst them. But at the same time, I think what's interesting is Harry and Kate saying, but the people who have been there the longest are also the ones who have built up the respect mm. in the fact that they will be firm but fair, that they will be balanced in their coverage that they'll give you the opportunity to say your side, but don't take that as gospel. So don't take us for a fool type thing. You know, we will hear what you've got to say. That doesn't mean where we have to print it. And I think that that was something that was really interesting was about how those who survive in the lobby the longest, it is about that level of trust and understanding almost how Whitehall works itself, right? Yeah. And I think, um, I mean, we touched upon like when you when I, you first come in as a spad, I, I personally found it quite daunting. It's like not... No one really sits you down and says, this is how you should deal with the media or this is, I mean, just broadly being a special advisor, you know, you don't get a very clear job description. And it was interesting what they were, as, as you just mentioned that, you know, when they said, I think Harry, it was said, uh, you know, you kind of over time, you work out the people who are kind of bottoming out and, you know, writing legit stuff. And occasionally maybe you get things wrong because it is a, difficult news environment but broad you know broadly make the effort to try and get things right and i think as a special advisor you know i would look at journalists in the same way i knew there were journalists where it was like almost pointless they would call you up and they'd say oh, i've got you know i've heard that your boss said this or this happened and i like, well that's simply not true you know first rule i was told by a, by a really good former special advisor said to me don't lie to the lobby because once you lie and they work it out, you're dead. They won't believe anything else you say. As Harry backed up, uh, and uh, yeah, Harry backed up, and I, you know, and I think that was something that I, I stuck to, um, and and equally. So therefore, I felt that when I was speaking to someone, if I said to somebody that you know I've checked it out, that is absolutely not true, and they would still turn around and go, "Well, I'm going to kind of run it anyway." I would definitely, personally, in my mind, go, "Well, I don't really trust that person." Number one and number two, you know, that's going to shape the way that you deal with them. And you, but the flip side is you gain respect for people when you can can have that honest conversation. You feel there's a bit of trust there. So I was called once about a story on someone that I worked for, and there was a claim that they were involved in, you know, one of these kind of I don't know, let's call it a kind of conspiracy theory or whatever you want to call it. And it was like, well, we, you know, we've got this, we've got this from two or three people, we know this is going on. And so I went away and I checked it out. 
I spoke spoke to them, spoke to someone else who was allegedly involved, and uh, had a long chat. And there wasn't it wasn't true. It simply wasn't true. And so I called them back up and I said, "Look, off the record, I'll kind of talk you through what I've what I've worked out, which is this is what is going on." And I mean, technically, in a, there might have been a bit of story in there if you really wanted to do it. And the journalist turned around to me and said, "Yeah, that's fine. I, I believe you." You know, I'm not going to, the thing that's there, I'm not going to write that because it's a kind of uh, boring, petty piece. And that's not what I do. So, we're done, and, you know, didn't touch it. And you, and I, you know, I built a really good relationship with that journalist because I, I felt like they were on the level and they, they, you know, they felt they had a story, which was a good, which if true would have been a good story. Fine. That, as we talked about earlier, that's their job. And when they worked out that what they'd been spun by someone else, because that's what had happened, someone else had been trying to, do the person that I worked for in that it wasn't true. They said, well, that's it. I'm done. Um, I think probably as, as Kate and Harry touched upon, I imagine, you know, they then looked at the, I don't, I've obviously got no idea who was, who gave it, gave that story to them, but I imagine they looked at them in that, in a way that made them trust them less. Maybe. That's always what I find quite hilarious with colleagues is the guessing game of who gave a quote. If it's anonymous, it's just no point wasting your time on that. No. You never know. You will drive yourself crazy. You'll drive yourself crazy and the and the journalists are not going to tell you. So you can ask them all you want. They're not going to say a word because that's, that's their integrity and that's their profession and that's how the game works in essence. You know, the, that's the way it always has been. So yeah, I, I, any colleague listening to this, just <laughs> it's no point wasting hours of your time. The amount of times that for, for whatever reason you've had a pretty good idea where something's come from and then you sit with someone else and they say, ah, oh, I absolutely know it's this person. And I'm like, it's not, it's not, but I, you, I always looked at that and thought, therefore, when I thought I definitely know who this is without real solid evidence, I would say, well, or do I? Cause you, and, and, and again, someone had given me some advice when I went in, which was, you know, by and large, when that stuff happens, don't spend loads of time thinking to yourself, where has this come from? Because it's because frankly, it's a waste of time. What, what even at the point you can work out with an 80, 90% chance, you probably know where it's from. What are you going to do? Because I mean, by the way, this slightly touches on one, one thing that I always thought as a special advisor, which is when you're in government, I don't know, tell me this, if this uh, resonates at all as an MP. When you're in government, you go in and you think, uh, you know, you're a conservative special advisor for a conservative government. You're obviously going to spend most of your time dealing with Labour. <laughs> You actually, most of the stories that you get called about by journalists are a leak from somewhere else in government. Now, it might, might be a civil servant, might be another special advisor, it could be minister slash MP, but it's not the Labour Party. Yeah. The most of the stories that you deal with <laughs> are not actually from the Labour Party. They're broadly, you know, I'm sure some of them from the civil service, they're broadly from people in the same party as you. Yeah, no, look, I've had that. I've put down some amendments recently in legislation, and the headline's been Tory rebellion, and I've been trying to spend all my spent one like you know one weekend recently trying to explain it's not a rebellion we're just putting amendments down um but oh but so and so says it is and then there's other times when it's like you no know, look the whole party gate stuff without going into it but obviously I was having to respond to local press inquiries about my thoughts on x y and z related to something that I wasn't you know I was over 100 miles away from when events took place, I was like other people in the country in my own home up in Stoke-on-Trent North, kids go and talk. I wasn't in Westminster. So, you know, and then you've also got other colleagues who will say, oh, so-and-so 
a conservative colleague has said that they don't agree with this or don't agree with that. Where are you at with this? They, they apparently you may be someone who you may be someone who's sympathetic, and you're like, like you say, I very rarely, I can't actually in my entire time just saying that. Yeah, I've only ever had my local press ask me questions in relation to what Labour has said. This, what's mm. your response? National press has always been actually about what someone in my own party has said. And do I agree or disagree with them? Or the government's doing this. Is this something you agree or disagree with? And you're, you're right. I've spent a lot of time there for and uh, dealing with my own colleagues which, or, you know, responding to my own colleagues in that case, which is uh, can be a source of great frustration because obviously, you know, selfishly, we've got our own political party agenda. We want to stay in government. And if you're sort of having this internal fight so publicly, that's never a good look. I suppose one thing I'm intrigued by James is that you as a media spad, how much free reign do you get in terms of engagement? Is there like a system that you have to go through if you're giving quotes or doing press? Or do you get someone from Downing Street tell you your Secretary of State is going to go and do the media round? They're going to go around early morning and do all the new, all the broadcasts and all the radio. Like, how does that system work? Uh, so I guess there are a couple of separate things separate them. So an easy one perhaps is media round. Um, if you've got a big announcement, you'll want to do a media round. So, you you know, you might even push for it. But number 10, their broadcast person, you know, in conjunction with the grid and the director of comms, they will kind of, you know, we, we, I don't know if we, we haven't planned one. We, you know, probably could do an, ed- an episode at some point in the future on the grid, you know, which is yeah. much talked about, but could do with really going over. But, you know, the grid is basically their plan for what is going to happen over coming days. So, that, you know, they will often say, well, there's an energy announcement. Therefore, we're going to get the energy secretary out. I guess the big one is the Sunday because, you know, there might, you know, there'll be a government announcement, but they'll probably want to put up a fairly big hitter because it's got to be on, you know, Laura Coonsberg now. And it used to be the Marshall when I was working and, and various Sunday things. So that that's all normally kind of number 10, say, you know, your, your boss is penciled in for this day or, or a minister in your department. But on the quote side and, and all that kind of stuff, I, I always operated on the view that if anything was going to mention your boss's name. So we talked about the types of quotes. It's, you know, ally of, source close to, et cetera. You absolutely have to go to your boss and clear that because it goes back to the point that we were talking about earlier. That That's their name. I don't think you should, yeah. you should be able to use that um, without checking with them because I don't think, you know, it's not, it's not your job. Um, I think in terms of when... But one thing Kate touched upon, which we could have, could have gone into, which I think is interesting, is background. Why I think that's useful is if you've got a big bill coming along, a big uh, piece of legislation, and it's you know it might be complex, it's trying to achieve different things, and there's obviously going to be people for and against it. Actually, going to the lobby and try and explaining to them what you're trying to do and where you are with that, so they'll know it is so. The env- let's take something like the Environment Act, which is a huge piece of legislation, affects all kinds of stuff. We were doing it in in DEFRA, and different people would be inv- interested in different parts. But you know, stories would come out while you were because you were having right rounds, meetings, etc. So saying well, what would the reason we're doing this is because you know we've left the EU, we need to have a, a new that's we need to have a new environment policy, so we have to do this. Number one, that's clear. Let's establish that. But then, oh, what are we trying to achieve? This, you know, this is what we're trying to achieve, and therefore we're going to go into these bits. I think, kind of talking to the lobby on background, and even through the process, keeping them up to date with that, it's not that you know they're not necessarily going to write it as a story at the time. 
when it comes to land, they'll feel they have some understanding. So on the day, if someone's coming in, a, a campaign group, a business, and the opposition party are pointing out problems, when you then say, well, no, this is why we chose to do it that way. We, we actually looked at these other two ways and we chose to do it that way. If you spent a bit of time over the past couple of months and had some conversations with people, what will happen is the people you're talking to in the lobby will turn and say, yeah, that makes sense because I remember you saying something about that a month ago. So you're able to, I think, land really important things going on. You could see this, you know, with a, with something like Brexit, you know, it, it, whichever side you're on, I'm sure lots of the MPs involved and the advisors on all sides were happy to chat with journalists as the process went on in terms of where they are, why they're making the decisions they're making, um, because, the you know, it was being covered daily. So I think, but those kinds of things are, I think that they're part of your job and you, you I mean, you, if you spent time clearing all that stuff with your boss, they wouldn't have time to run the department, which is their main job. And I guess that's the other thing is, you know, you're trying to free up your boss to, to focus on, you know, their principal job, which is the running of a department. So that's right. So when, an, when a, when a secretary of state hires a special advisor, that relationship is really important. And that trust level is super important for not just that individual, that person as an individual, but clearly for the department's own reputation, the government's reputation, and obviously for the actually delivering of policy, you've got to have a really strong working relationship. Yeah, I think so. I think um, I, I felt I had a good degree, degree of trust with the people that I work for. And be able to have frank conversations, right? Like at times, like they're going to say they want to say this and you're going to go, that's just not going to fly with extra, this journalist is not going to accept that. Like that's also not fully what this is, says or this what this does. You're going to have to have tough conversations about how punchy you can be in response or, you know, how, how much someone may want to pursue their own kind of agenda as well as obviously what the government wants to do. Yeah, and I think, then, look, I think advisors, uh, as kind of the title suggests, the central thing that you need is judgment. So I think at the very least, your boss has got to respect your judgment on things. And that is whether you're, if you're a policy advisor or a media advisor, um, or, you know, they have ones for parliamentary engagement, it's, you're slightly closer because that's your focus. And so therefore I think the person you're working for has got to have some respect that you can't, you know, that you do have decent judgment. So when you're saying, yeah, I can see why you think that's a good idea, but because of X, Y, and Z, it's probably not that they're, that, you know, they will listen to you. And as the old adage goes, you know, you, I think you've got to stick to advisors, advise, uh, ministers decide. So you do have to accept that for whatever reason, that sometimes someone's going to turn around and say, yeah, I hear you, you know, that's fine, but actually we're going to, we're going to do it this way anyway. Do you, as a small question, the media round obviously can be a very early start in the morning or your boss could be doing question time, you know, at late at night. Are you, do you always have to be present? Does the media advisor have to always be present? No one I, no one I worked for ever did question time. So, so you didn't have to, didn't have to travel far and, and do sort of 9 p.m. or whatever. At night no, because and... it's a kick, because why you would be crazy to put your boss up to, it's going to say allow, you know, something you get pushed into it, but. You, you basically go up as the government spokesman. When we talked about things being fair, on that particular program, what the, they have the three main parties in a guest, I haven't watched it for a while. The three major political parties, then two sort of uh, two talking think heads. tanks, journalists, yeah. um, so professors. You, so you're, you essentially, if you're the government voice on that, you're essentially up for a kicking. Because 
pretty much everyone on the panel wants to round on you because not you know no one's there so you've you've got three four people who are all going to kind of be punchy towards you and sometimes kind of all join up um and you know the audience for whatever reason is normally not with you so uh, I wouldn't do that, but uh, more, morning rounds I hated just simply because I don't like getting up in the morning. <laughs> I'll be totally honest. I mean, um, I'll, you know, I obviously work for Michael and Pretty. They're very, very capable. So you're kind of really just saying these are the lines on this. This is, oh, by the way, just, you know, this broke overnight. So Yeah, as I was say, you're just updating in case anything broke overnight. You get on the phone, it? you're normally on the phone to someone from number 10 uh i don't know six or whatever it is um and just getting a line on something that's actually probably you know probably only dropped 11 or 12 so you just need to know what what where is the government in it or is there anything you need to know and that kind of and feeding that through but you, you can't, i mean i don't know not to do, do myself down I, th- I think on morning rounds you're a bit of a bag carrier you know there's not yeah. a lot you can do because your, your boss is live on air so <laughs> if they say something uh, there ain't a great deal you're going to do about it, to be honest. I mean, you might spend the rest of the day dealing with it. <laughs> yeah, I was about to say, it might be. In the there and then, you're, you're kind of done. I think it's really interesting. What we've heard as we're coming to close on this is that relationships are important and it's easy to mistake relationships between journalists and politicians and the advisors as somehow, oh, so-and-so works with their friends on this or that. There is no real friendship. It's a a positive working environment in the sense of an MP has a job to do, which is to push a government or their party political line. They also obviously want to represent their constituents and get their constituents' name in the paper. They also will selfishly want to promote themselves, thinking that that is one way of proving that they are capable to go up the career ladder. You've got the advisors obviously employed by uh, the Secretary of State to deliver obviously the government agenda but also the policy agenda of that department and build the reputation up of the Secretary of State and then you've got the journalists who have simply got a job to do well which is report what's going on what is government doing what are MPs doing what's driving that agenda is it something that was in a manifesto is it something that uh, the um, Prime Minister has come under internal pressure for is it something that the opposition has won the argument of the day over now for the government's having to backtrack or do something different in order to regain the narrative that's just the reality and i think it's very easy to assume therefore that this is a it's them versus us but also very easy to assume that oh so that that paper that broadcast is friendly with those guys and then the others are with that i don't think it is that at all i can say hand on heart whether i've been speaking to the mirror the guardian the Sun, the Times, the Telegraph, uh, or the Eye, that I've been treated fairly amongst all those newspapers, just like I have done with all the broadcasters as well. And I think that it's very easy for us to fall into a narrative when actually the reality is very different. What do you think of that, James? Um, I think, put simply, it would be the game's the game. and Them's um, the breaks. Them's the breaks. And I think... It's not about being friends or not, because you, you can be friends in the same way you're friends with people in opposition parties. Yep. Right? Um, David Linden, who we've had David on. Linden, who, we've, who, who kindly joined us. But you've got a job to do. Da- you know, David's, da- David's job is being an SMP MP, which part of that is to try, try and get Scotland to leave the union. Yeah. And uh, as, a con- as a member of the Conservative and Unionist Party, you, you, part of your job is is not for that not to happen. And exactly. you know, that, that's it. Uh, that doesn't mean you can't be friends. You know, Harry and Kate's job is to 
cover what's going on, you know, in the department that you're working in or you, your party you're in. Uh, and they've got to do that to the best of their ability. And that's trying to find out stuff that sometimes you don't want to be found out. And that's their job. And then, and my job is not to tell them everything. And even though, even if you're friends, it's like, did you, you're, and I'll say, yeah, I knew that was going to happen. Like, Why did you tell me? It's like, well, it's so not my job. It's for you to find out. <laughs> um, so it's obviously both ways. So I don't really think, I don't think of it as being friends or not on yeah. the whole. Um, I just think it's a strange world where you do end up as friends with people who are, you know, on the other, you know, in your case, very directly on the other side of the house. Yeah, exactly. Well, look, I think there's so much more we could go into, but of course, obviously, we, we want to let you, the listeners, uh, crack on with your day. And James did mention earlier on about Twitter. And guess what? You can follow us on Twitter at Whitehall Pod UK. Uh, share it, uh, retweet what's going on, give us your feedback, as well as obviously subscribing or following us wherever it is you're listening to us uh, and give us a rating so we can hear what you think because we're keen to get your feedback and take that on board so thanks for tuning in and we look forward to catching up with you soon